Good morning, good afternoon, welcome to the Freedom and Wealth Podcast. This is your host, Brian Nicolaisen. Today is Thursday, February 1st, 2024. I appreciate you joining. This is the second podcast we did this week. The first one with our special guest, Chuck, was a great success. We talked about the labor market, AI, and some of the big geopolitical uh, and and political questions circling the United States right now. Uh, So that was a really good podcast, but there's a, a few other pieces of items a few other pieces of information that we've been getting this week and last week that I really want to just focus on in a separate podcast. So I'm putting this out today. This is going to be an important one, I think. I think this should be, uh, I think I, I hopefully can explain with, with decent clarity um, what our outlook is, you know, uh, for the U.S. economy and really what we need to be looking at besides just the government produced data and why some of that government produced data is really misleading. And I think it could really hurt a lot of people and their investment portfolios. So I wanna start out with some of the numbers that we got. We got GDP for fourth quarter that came out, I think last week. Um, And, uh, you know, fourth quarter year over year growth was 3.3%. The estimate was for 2%. So we significantly outperformed um, what was expected and the market rewarded that, right? It's just like, yeah, you know, the economy's chugging along, we're, everything's working along with the GDP. You got PCE data, which is the deflator. So basically, GDP is adjusted for inflation using this PCE deflator, and the PCA, PCE came in lower as well. So that actually made the GDP look better, right? Because as you, you know, you don't have to subtract as much to get to a real GDP number. Um, if they had subtracted the real inflation number, not the manipulated PCE, you know, maybe GDP would have been a lot lower. Uh, but anyway, I want to start actually was, was talking about the GDP. I want to start with a, a little bit of a headline from a Substack uh, written by a Peter St. Ong or Ange. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but he's a PhD economist. And I think he, he does a good job writing some stuff uh, about the economy, about GDP, etc. So he posted this and he said, uh, you know, fresh GDP numbers came in and it was a blowout, right? Remember, 3.3 over the two that was estimated. The kind of blowout that only a $2.7 trillion government deficit can buy while the private economy crumbles around it. Another couple blowout GDP reports like this and the Americans will be living under an overpass. That is... Uh, Wonderful headline. I think it's got just the right amount of sarcasm and um, really demonstrates the point. The point he's making is that GDP is just a sum of all the spending in the United States, but it includes government spending. So the government spent $2.7 trillion, right, uh, in deficit spending, and that produced... um, $600 billion in growth. So to be specific, uh, the increase in the government deficit from 2022 to 2023 was $1.3 trillion. So $1.3 trillion increase in government spending. And that's part of the GDP calculation, which is up $600 billion. So what that tells you is that the economy actually shrunk by $700 billion in the fourth quarter of 2023. Now we are celebrating a positive GDP number, 
when in reality, the productivity of the United States is down, according to this calculation, $700 billion. Yes, $700 billion decrease. We are shrinking. The economy is shrinking. That is a recession. All right. If you want to publish this as a positive number, be my guest. But the fact is, it's not accurate, right? It's not Maybe GDP is just not accurate in general, because if you include government spending, you're not looking at the productivity of the United States. The government doesn't produce anything. The government is a drain on the market. It is a drain on the economy. It takes from the economy. It does not supply any productivity. All right. So the fact that it's even included in GDP means the GDP is not a useful number. So everybody that wants to talk about how good the economy is doing they really should not be looking at GDP. Let's bring in some new information uh, besides GDP to make that statement. All right. <clears throat> now, GDP is also inflation adjusted. They use a what they call the PCE deflator. So I'm not sure the exact number. I'd have to look it up. But I think PCE came in, you know, two percent somewhere around there as the inflation number. And so real, you know, the nominal GDP growth was maybe five point three, but adjusted for inflation, it was three point three. Well, that PCE number is also a government manipulated number. They manipulate this. It's the most manipulated of all the CPI or all the uh, inflationary measures, <clears throat> much more manipulated than the CPI, which is already quite manipulated. So the PCE, let's assume that they put three, but maybe it's actually four. Then instead of being 3.3% GDP growth, it should have been 1.3% GDP growth, which means the economy shrunk even more than $700 billion. Um, look, the fact is GDP at 3.3% with a $600 billion growth uh, and a $1.3 trillion increase in government spending is not a good number. It is not a strong economy. All right. So I just really wanted to focus on that for a minute because we just keep talking, right? The, the pundits and the, the people on Twitter, they just keep talking about this robust economy. And I just keep asking the question, what are they looking at? The economy shrunk. <laughs> All right. Um, now, while we're at bad statistics that are misleading, let's talk about unemployment. Unemployment's at rock bottom. It's at 3.7%, a 50-year low, right? The economy, the labor market's strong, as they all say. Well, the federal government number is showing unemployment at 3.7%, but the states, 81% of the state. Now, by the way, the states report unemployment as well, okay? Uh, and 81% of the states are showing an increase in unemployment. Now, yes, there's 19% of states that are, you know, seeing a, a either flat or a decrease in their unemployment numbers, meaning they're adding jobs. And those states include Texas, okay? They also include like North Dakota and Maine and you know, a couple other small, uh, you know, small states. The 19% does not include New York or California or Illinois or Florida, right? So the fact is, I get it. Texas is adding jobs. But I highly doubt, I haven't done all the numbers, but I just doubt that Texas adding jobs is is uh, is is wiping out all job losses that are happening in the four biggest states in the country, plus, you know, all the other 81 percent of it. Right. So, so look, look, the fact is unemployment is rising. You're just not seeing it in the federal number because the federal number is, again, manipulated. It's the government. The government's telling us the data. Right. It's like asking your kid to grade his own homework. Of course, he's going to tell you that he got an A, uh, especially 
if it's an election year, right? Uh, oh, well, Biden, how's your economy doing? Well, it's doing great. It's like, well, of course he's going to say that. And his administration is going to put that same thing in all the data. This data is manipulated. We are all being manipulated to believe that the economy is stronger than it really is. Again, 81% of all states, including New York, California, Illinois, and Florida, are all reporting increases in unemployment. We just got data from job outplacement firm Challenger Gray and Christmas. Uh, layoffs for January totaled 82,000 layoffs. That's the second highest month since 2009. The only month that was higher was January of 2023. Okay, so a year ago th this month was basically the same as as, as January. It's a, but we're in a pretty big increase from December uh, a month ago. And the point is, both January 2023 and January 2024 are the two highest numbers going back to the financial crisis, right? So we're seeing lots and lots of layoffs. Every company, you know, during their earnings, most companies are saying they're laying off. So we're seeing these layoffs, but it's not showing up in the unemployment number, the federal unemployment number. Why? Because it's manipulated, right? Um, yes, there's severance packages and things. That also helps, right? Because you get a severance package, you, you know, you can't claim unemployment usually. Um, and so... All this is going on, yet the states are showing it, right? And so we just need to dig a little bit deeper to see that the economy is crumbling and GDP is shrinking, right? Out, take government out, GDP is collapsing, all right? So let's go back to GDP for a second. If you look at the leading economic indicators, all right, it's a summation of a bunch of surveys, right? They have been negative for 21 weeks. So these leading economic indicators are just that. They're leading, right? They're supposed to tell us what's in the in the in front of us. These leading economic indicators have been negative for 21 straight weeks. That's the longest stretch since 2008. All right. And that was 22 weeks. So if we get one more week, that'll be 22. And then if we get one more week after that, 23, that'll be the record, right? So this is the longest stretch of negative leading economic indicators telling us that the economy is collapsing, it's slowing, it's contracting, all right? But everybody's dismissing this because GDP looks great and unemployment looks really low. Maybe, right, it's not that the leading, and, and by the way, everybody now wants to throw these leading economic indicators away. Ah, let's not look at those, they're wrong, right? GDP's strong, what do these leading economic indicators know? 21 straight weeks, who cares? GDP looks great, job, job numbers look great, okay. Maybe we should be throwing out the government numbers and actually looking at the leading economic indicators because the leading economic indicators are the businesses. They're the individuals. They're the people that are on the ground, all right? They're Americans that know what's going on. And so let's not not listen to them and choose to just listen to the Biden administration. Let's listen to the people, right? Maybe it's the Biden administration that's lying, not the people. Um, <coughs> and, you know, I think it's also relevant to understand that the Biden's the surveys on Biden, the polls on Biden are huge numbers of disapproval. Same thing with Kamala Harris and same thing with any question that's related to the economy. Now, again, the Biden administration wants to tell us, hey, everything's great. Right. Ignore what you see and just listen to us. OK. And they want to tell you that everything looks great. Well, you know what? If everything was so great, the polls would be better because I don't care how dumb the president is. It's the economy, stupid, right? You want to look at the economy. That'll tell you the approval ratings for the president. So if the economy is so good, then the approval ratings should be better, 
right? Notwithstanding, you know, the Biden's, you know, inability to talk or, or you know, his, his corruption, right? Notwithstanding all that, the polls, again, would just be a little bit better probably, you know, if the economy was good. But the economy's bad, okay? The leading economic indicators are right. The GDP is wrong. The jobs data is wrong. And the economy is slowing. It's contracting. And one might use the word recession, right? We might be in a recession right now, and maybe we just don't know about it. Again, talking about, you know, crappy numbers that we that we shouldn't really pay so much attention to, let's talk about CPI. CPI is now coming down, right? We've, we've seen this almost straight line down from 9% CPI to, you know, 3, right? Um, but the CPI data is manipulated first and foremost. You know, your owner's equivalent rent is the way they look at, at um, you know, housing costs. But they're not, they don't even include single-family housing prices. Single-family housing prices are going up, right? They're not going down. So we're still seeing significant inflation in housing, and that's a huge part of CPI. But that's going to keep going down as owner's equivalent rent is, again, a government-manipulated number. But even if you look at the CPI at its face and say, okay, you know, great, um, inflation's going down, it is inflation is going to rocket back up as soon as they start lowering rates. Why? Our prediction is that inflation is going to bottom in May, and that's really just due to the comps, right? So they it's a year over year number. So the year over year inflation was the highest, like you know, May of last year, right? Or or even uh, the beginning of twenty twenty three end of 2022. So we've had these really high numbers that we're coming off of. So it was a comparable or year over year change. Um, it would be obvious that inflation numbers will be going down right now. Uh, and that's that's valid. But once you get to May, those comps are over. Now you're going to start looking at very, you know, much more modest numbers from last year. And it's also going to coincide with the Fed rate cuts, right? The Fed had their meeting this week. They met on Wednesday. They they threw out March. They said we're not cutting in March, but they did say they're cutting. And so everybody's pretty much on board now that they're going to cut in May or June. So inflation is going to be bottoming. At the same time, the Fed is going to be cutting and inflation is going to start to move up. Right. And since equities are really just a discounting mechanism for the Fed, equities should peak around the same time that inflation bottoms. Right. And so that would be my estimate, again, on a tactical level. You know, what do I think equities are going to do this year? You know, again, I think they're going to be, you know, hard pressed to go up, uh, you know, in April, May, June, July, as the Fed is cutting in the face of rising inflation, which, again, is, is our prediction. And, and, you know, why will inflation resurface? So, again, in addition to just the comps, right, that you're going to have much lower comps. Um, in addition to that, you know, our economy is not producing product but we're still being flooded with money, right? So you have these massive fiscal deficits. They're going to start cutting rates, putting more money back into the system. And the economy is slowing. Manufacturing, which produces the goods, is in an outright irrefutable recession for almost two years now. The Kansas City Manufacturing Survey, just they published it. I saw it on Twitter. And it reads like a horror story. Every metric that they have, I think they have like 12 metrics, they're all negative, right? Meaning they're all getting worse, contracting from the month prior. That's the total 
cumulative uh, performance of manufacturing in, in all their surveys. Production, shipments, new orders, backlogs, employees, counts, uh, employee work weeks, average work weeks, exports, delivery time, inventory, all of them in contraction. The only items that are in expansion are prices paid and prices received. That's insane. And by the way, if you look back, it's been the same for all year, meaning manufacturing is slowing, production is slowing, orders are slowing, and prices are going up. Okay, that is the definition of stagflation. That is what we're going to be dealing with the next 20 years. Um, and again, it's just you're not producing goods, which means higher prices, all else things equal, right? Less goods on the market, same demand, prices go up, right? And again, why in the world would you think that inflation is all of a sudden back, the genie's back in the bottle, right? We've had 15 years of the most reckless monetary policy in American history, and then you raise ba uh, interest rates by 500 basis points for 18 months, and all of a sudden the genie is put away forever, that, we'd never, that we'll never have to deal with inflation again? That's insane, right? It's insane to think that because it's not true. And you know what? Consumers cannot afford the prices. It's obvious. We are absolutely living a lower standard living today than we were three years ago by a long shot. You know, I mean, just go to the grocery store. You just get, you get punched in the face every time you check out at the grocery store. I don't care how much money you have. If you go to the grocery store and you get one bag worth of things, just a few things, like, you know, last night I went for just to get a few things at the store, you know, wanted to get some coffee, um, some some fruit for my daughter, uh, you know, just some basics, right? Walk out with one bag, $100 for one little brown bag, not even filled. You know, you do a normal grocery shop, you're, you know, again, I do eat organic, okay? I, yes, I don't want to eat uh, a bunch of genetically modified vegetables and, you know, uh, stuff coated in, you know, meat injected with antibiotics and hormones and, you know, uh, a bunch of vegetables coated in, you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, pesticides, right? Uh, yeah, so no, no, I'm not interested in that type of food. So I, I want, you know, real food. And when you eat real food, when you eat organic food, you go to the grocery store and you'd walk out for no less than $500. And, you know, again, it is insane, right? It's insane. And that's why debt is building. You know, consumers have a choice. Either put money for groceries, put the groceries on a credit card, or don't eat. And that is a choice that Americans are making today. And so what are they doing? They're trading down. They're eating that crappy food, right? They're, they're you know, they're killing themselves because they don't have a choice. And, and this is the result of reckless monetary policy. And again, you could tell us that inflation's gone. You could tell us the economy's great. But if we're being forced as an as a country to eat the worst of the worst food right the most mass produced you know genetically modified hormone injected food um and we we know that it's making us sick but we're doing it because it's the only choice we have you know yeah we're not gonna like that and and that is absolutely what's happening in america across america and think about you know, it's hard sometimes, and most people probably listening to this podcast, uh, a lot of them are clients, and a lot of my clients have done really well, and, and you know, uh, it, it's sometimes hard to imagine, but, you know, just think about the everyday, 
you know, guy in the middle of Arkansas making, you know, $60,000 a year or, or 40000 a year with trying to feed a family three kids. How do they do it? They can't do it, right? The fact is, they just can't do it. Last thing on kind of false data and just something we really want to be aware of, I don't think anybody really understands, in the government at least, what quantitative tightening really means and the impacts that it could have because we have not felt quantitative tightening. We've done a lot of quantitative tightening, but it's been offset by the Treasury Department. So as the Fed is selling bonds into the market and not buying U.S. Treasuries, Janet Yellen is refusing to issue those treasuries. And I imagine when they do their quarterly refunding announcement tomorrow, she's going to say the same thing for Q1. What's happening is Janet Yellen is not issuing the recommended amount of longer duration treasuries. Instead, she's rolling everything into bills and notes in the belly of the curve, right? Zero, uh, you know, zero to five years. She's not issuing the appropriate amount of 10, 20 and 30 year bonds for the market. So the market is starved for supply in the long duration bonds. And what's happening is interest rates are staying low, artificially low, you know, absent the intervention by the Biden administration vis-a-vis -vis Janet Yellen and the Treasury Department, there would be a lot more supply of longer duration bonds, which means the demand would have to increase <clears throat> and demand would increase if they were enticed to buy those bonds via higher interest rates. So quantitative tightening works by adding supply into the market. And all else things equal, more supply, same amount of demand, prices go uh, down, right? And yields go up. And that has not happened because, again, the Biden administration is intervening, right? They are messing with a free market. And it is going to come back to bite us all. And it already is, right? In the form of inflation. Because, again, excess fiscal and monetary support in the economy does produce excess credit and uh, money and the money and credit is what produces inflation okay so again we just have to take everything that we're seeing right now with a grain of salt yes we're in quantitative tightening so anybody that says oh we're in quantitative tightening and look it's all good the economy is great labor's great and gdp's growing well i just threw a monkey wrench in all three of those all three components of that statement First of all, we're not in QT, right? It's QT being offset by QE via the Treasury Department, okay? And GDP is probably not growing, okay? And <clears throat> inflation is not as low as they think, and labor unemployment is also not as low as we think, right? So all those things put together, that statement, which is creating the Goldilocks scenario for the stock market, is kind of BS, right? It's just not really true. Now, again, as we continue to contemplate this data, it almost seems obvious at this point that we're already in a recession. You know, we called for a recession in 2023 and quote unquote, we were wrong, but maybe we weren't. Maybe we were right. Maybe the, the recession is already here. All right. But the government data is telling us the opposite. And we continue to believe them. Right. We continue to just take the Biden administration's word on everything. And if we haven't learned anything, let's just stop doing that because that's insane, right? They have do nothing but lie. So why are we doing it? We're doing it because I don't really know, but but we are, and I guess it's just we're being gaslit into do it, right? The media is out. What do you, what do you don't believe? You know, you don't believe this data. Uh, what are you, an idiot? <laughs> you know, it's like they gaslight you. They make you feel stupid. 
But at the end of the day, the data is not right. It's not accurate. We get conflicting data from sources that are much closer to the ground. So why would I believe the government data when there's all the moral hazards that the government has? So if there's a recession, then every piece of our portfolio makes sense, right? And, and we constructed this portfolio because of this reason. We constructed the portfolio, uh, you know, we've adjusted the portfolio rather over the last two or three years, given that we think we are late cycle, right? And if you're late cycle, which means you're in the, the, the contractionary phase, maybe that ends in a recession, maybe it's just a slight contraction and then back to a more cyclical growth period. But if you're in this late cycle, you want to own acyclicals like healthcare, right? That does well no matter what happens in the economy. We own a lot of healthcare, right? Companies with pricing power like consumer staples. I always use the example Pepsi raised prices by 30% over the last two years. They passed all their costs on to the consumer and they've been able to maintain profits. So we like that, right? If we're going to own a company, let's own a company that has the pricing power, right? And some of these consumer staples where the products are required for life, you know, then, then, they're going to do okay. Uh, we also like companies backed directly by government spending. So whether that's a defense contractor or an industrial that's going to benefit from this inflation, uh, the you know, the infrastructure uh, package or the Inflation Reduction Act, all this fiscal support into the economy is going to flow a lot of it into industrials. So uh, we like industrials for that reason. Mega cap technology companies are really interesting because they have an idiosyncratic growth story. Right, whether it's cybersecurity or AI, um, these companies have been able to grow new lines of revenue. Right, speaking specifically about whether that's Microsoft or Facebook or Google or you know CrowdStrike or Palo Alto, some of these big technology companies or Nvidia have done a great job growing new forms of revenue. Okay, that even if the economy is slowing, this business is expanding and they're able to raise revenue. And then also they have cost cutting mechanisms. These companies have a lot of people that work there. If they need to fire 10,000 people, they fire 10,000 people, right? And they can maintain their margins. If you look at the year over year growth for the mega cap, well, they, they're calling them not the Magnificent Seven anymore. Maybe it's a Super Six. I forget what they call them now because Tesla fell out of that Magnificent Seven. But these six top six companies, that's Nvidia, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and Facebook. Those companies, year-over-year year growth for Q4 is 54%, the estimate year-over-year growth, 50 over 50% growth. Right. By the way, Google and Microsoft both hit their numbers. So we're on our way to realizing a 54% year-over-year growth for Q4 for these mega cap tech names. That's amazing. You know what the other 494 companies for the S&P 500 are? Minus 10.5% year-over-year growth. And you're telling me, that the economy is great when 494 out of the 500 companies have a negative 10 and percent growth rate they're contracting the economy is crumbling around them like peter saint peter saint on said in the, the first article we read today companies are earning less money but you know who's not mega cap tech why because they're just great companies right they've they've got great business and there's trends that are more powerful than the recession so we want to own that stuff and by the way gold as a hedge against a dollar down cycle is also an important part of the portfolio. You know, yesterday was really important. Yesterday we had the, the second day of the Fed meeting. We had the, the release of the uh, rate, no rate change, and, and then the press conference by, by Mr. Powell. And what you saw was he took the March 
rate cut off the table. And when that happened, yields spiked, at least momentarily, but the dollar moved up, right? Because, okay, you're not gonna cut. If we're not gonna cut, then that means yields up, dollar up. It means stocks down, right? The stocks got hit yesterday. And normally you would think gold would go down because again, if dollar goes up, gold goes down, right? At least in terms of dollars. Gold went up. And I think that was a really interesting turning point uh, because the market is starting to wake up that the dollar's general direction is gonna be down in this next cycle, not up like every other recession. I think that'll be a really big difference between this recession and all the past of the last 30 years. So what is this recession going to look like? And I, I really, again, I've been giving a lot of thought to this as well. And I think there's an interesting point that we want to start grappling with, which is that we're really getting used to these government bailouts. You know, in 2008, it took a while to realize that the quantitative easing, the TARP, was permanent, that the Fed was going to take on assets under their balance sheet, and they were never going to come off that balance sheet, right? That once you start printing money and buying assets, it's like the Roach Motel, you could check in, but you could never check out. You know, back when 2008 happened and, and they, they, they launched this QE program for the first time in American history, that we were going to print money and buy assets and hold them on the Fed balance sheet permanently. Ben Bernanke, the chair of the Fed at the time, testified that QE was temporary, right? That this was going to be not an issue. And I think it was Janet Yellen, by the way, they made the comment that when they roll this balance sheet back down in quantitative tightening, it's going to be like watching paint dry. It's going to be so easy. Okay. Well, it turns out that neither one of those things happened, right? That all of a sudden, what it was a temporary measure, a temporary quantitative easing program in 2008 turned into a permanent one. And the dollar strengthened, by the way, when Ben Bernanke said it was temporary, right? Because people around the world said, okay, that's great the US dollar is safe because they're not just gonna monetize federal deficits. They're not gonna be the banana republic. Well, we turned out to be just that. We turned out to be monetizing the federal debt. The federal government expands and who pays for it? The Federal Reserve, they just print the money to do it. We're monetizing our own debt, okay? That is the definition, right, of this banana republic. That's what we are right now, right? But QE was supposed to be temporary. It turned out it wasn't. Then, when you got to 2015 or 2018 or 2020, it was QE2, QE3, QE4, QE5. And you go from basically $0 on the Fed balance sheet to $9 trillion. Permanent, right? Now, yes, we started QT. We dropped a, a trillion dollars off. Again, I would argue that that's been subsidized by the Treasury Department. So I think that all comes home to roost as well, but not yet. Right? We haven't felt the impacts of the quantitative tightening yet. But what we've realized, especially after COVID, was that every crisis that we have in America is going to be met with significant money printing, significant monetary and fiscal support. And the 2023 March banking crisis, we had this little mini banking crisis. They printed $500 billion in a week. Remember, TARP was only $800 billion in 2008. You know, we did $500 billion in a week. Nobody even talks about it anymore, right? So we are in this process now and have been really for the last 15 years, 16 years now, of normalizing massive government bailouts 
And what I think is going to happen is that in 2024, 2025, when the same data that we're seeing now starts to be so obvious that we're in a contraction, so obvious that we're in a recession, that the government can't even deny it. They can't even manipulate the numbers anymore. This financial crisis, just like all the rest of them, the last 15 years, will be met with so much money printing that it will wash over any ales, right? It will kick the can down the road, which again is going to be more debt financing. You know, the government's not going to just bail us out. They don't have the money. They're they're broke. Uh, They run $4 trillion annual deficits. So this just means more money printing, more Fed monetization, and that means holding yields down, right? And as they increase the supply of money and credit, what does that mean? More inflation and more reductions to the standard of living. The consumer in America is going to be eating worse and worse food and, and traveling less and less and driving crappier and crappier cars and buying less and less houses, right? And that is the dynamic that's happening in America. And this is the final fight. The, the, the Fed backing off the inflation battle today because you had inflation drop from a massive high of nine to three and then just backing off, cutting, going back to QE. All this is happening right in front of our eyes. The Fed backing off this inflation fight well before inflation's at 2%, by the way, um, is the final battle. And it will likely mark the peak of the US dollar and the bottom of gold because it is an admission, finally, that uh, no matter what, it will be met with money printing and just keeping things going is the most important thing. And they are willing to sacrifice all of us uh, by just printing money to stay in power. And we are going to be the sufferers of that. We are going to be dealing with the inflation for a long time to come. It's not going, it's only going to get worse. There'll be ebb and flow and things will take time. And, you know, as much as I say we're in a recession now, that may not really be evident for another year or two. But it, it will be evident eventually. And how stocks react are going to be a function in many ways of the Fed and their discounting mechanism. Now, we want to be aware that the Fed theoretically could start fighting inflation again. Uh, and that would be horrible probably for, for equities. Um, but that's not happening now. And so you want to be bullish on, on U.S. equities, especially large caps, especially some of the sectors that we talked about uh, just before. Uh, but, uh, you know, and again, you, you want to be very careful about some of the stuff that did very well the back half of 2023. Cyclicals, travel stocks, regional banks, you know, some of these early cycle stocks uh, that are up 30, 40 percent in the last 90 days. That could be short lived. That could be reversed. Um, back to a trend that was 2023 that made a lot of sense. You know, that was the mega cap tech names and and uh, and some of these more defensive sectors. So, again, things take time. Um, I just, you know, wanted to uh, speak my mind a bit about some of the uh, really concerning data points that we're getting. And, um, you know, again, they don't look very concerning if you just read the, the headline. But if you look under the hood, you know, there's some duct tape under there holding things together and Uh, You know, that duct tape could uh, pop loose any day. All right. Uh, Thank you for joining. If you are a client, um, I'm sure we've talked soon. If not, you know, we'll be talking soon to do your end of year review. It's been really great catching up with all the clients 
Um, we've we've had an unbelievable year. 2023 was an unbelievable year. You know, we've added so many new clients uh, because folks really appreciate, I think, the approach that we're taking, which is, you know, we want to be aggressive. Right? We want to make a lot of money, but, you know, we got to cover our butts uh, because things are, are quite volatile geopolitically and as well as economically. And uh, it's been a, it's been a really um, rewarding last 12 months. And, uh, you know, we look forward to the next 12. If you're not a client and you'd like a free financial plan and an analysis on your current investment strategy, you know, head to freedomandwealthusa.com. Put your name in. I'll call you directly and, you know, we'll chat a bit. All right. Thank you, everybody. Bye for now. Have a great day. The information on this podcast is educational in nature and is not intended to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, or other purpose. Information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of subjects discussed. The information provided should not be considered tax or legal advice. Discussions and answers to questions do not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice and is limited to the dissemination of general information and may not be suitable for members of the listening audience. It should not be construed by any consumer as solicitation to affect or attempt to affect transactions and securities or the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of advisory services offered through Redwood Private Wealth. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should always seek advice from a financial, insurance, legal, or tax professional that takes into account all of the particular facts and circumstances of an investor's own situation.